I ventured into these questions um, and this project in particular because I was interested in the uh, potential in creolization um, as a philosophical method and a way of posing certain question sets um, around what it means for um, uh, marginalized communities in general, but in particular um, uh, communities of Black people uh, to, to etch out um, spaces and um, practices of, of freedom um, within the context of or against the backdrop of anti-Black violence. Um, or within the context of or against the backdrop of, um, you know, settler colonial violence. And so um, in this specific um, call, I should say, uh, to creolize the nation, <coughs> what, I'm, what I'm trying to, what I'm trying to offer is uh, creolization as, as a methodology and, uh, and a way of, um, a way of reading and thinking about these questions to offer creolization as a frame through which we can uh, talk about and think about nation. Um, and by nation, I mean um, uh, a national community or what it, what it feels like to experience and be part of the nation sort of on the ground, um, to, to use creolization as a way to think about and talk about nation um, as in order to foreground um, those sort of everyday practices of, um, of, of figuring out how to be free in the context of this kind of these kinds of um, violences. So that's, that's the sort of broad stroke of what the book is trying to do. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. That's helpful. And I think some of the language you use figuring out this kind of sense of ongoing or process um, that's not fixed. We, we could discuss this later with some of the influences and the concept of creolization you're working with. It's very interesting, uh, the mobility we might say there. One of the things you also talk about in the book, you, you have this kind of back and forth with staying with the nation as a form of community for all of its problems. You discuss Paul Gilroy's concept of the diaspora, how he's thinking through that, for instance, but still end up uh, arguing for this creolized nation. I understand your push here to be strategic or practical. One of the things you said that stuck with me, I'll quote here, that the nation form will be, will more than likely continue to be the organizing frame for the political, economic, and sociocultural aspects of our lives. So could you talk more about this choice kind of from the beginning to, uh, tarry with the nation as a form instead of abandoning it for something else like the diaspora or the other alternatives you consider. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and um, you know you you write to um, point out that I that I that I do um, make space in the book to engage with Paul Gilroy's work um, around this question of diaspora and particularly around how. Um, the complex relationship between or among diaspora, 
um, uh, and these sort of transnational uh, coalitions and communities um, and the Black diaspora, right? So, and I think you 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 write in picking up this sort of strategic thread um, of this proposal to creolize the nation, because um, that's definitely the case. Part of why I decided to stay within this frame, uh, but there's also this other piece um, to the to the move to my move to bring creolization within the nation frame, <coughs> and. I think that this other piece has perhaps less to do with the nation and again more to do with what I really want to do in the book right um, I, I, which is which is to say what I really want to do in the book is is to foreground like I said earlier um, a set of technologies or or mm -hmm. poetics if you will mm -hmm. that I think creolization has to offer right so that in attending to this creolizing poetics, we what I want to say is we don't have to move beyond the nation free, right? And I think in in a move that perhaps too quickly abandons the nation in favor of diaspora mm. um, would be tantamount to missing this opportunity to mm. see the ways in which this creolizing poetics or to see what this creolizing poetics um, has to offer. Um, us to help us think about the nation frame and talk about the nation frame differently. So, I mean, I could, I could, I could say, I could say more about what I want to, what I mean by that, but I don't know if you want to. I would I mean, love actually to hear more sort of you use words, poetics, technology, the right. elaboration would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess I want to first say that, um, like you said, I favor nation over diaspora. Um, but so so given that what the book is trying to do to offer creolization, uh, you know, this particular set of, of poetics and imaginary um, that allows us to think about and to theorize about um, notions of subject and place and community in in very different ways. Right. And so given that that's what I'm trying to do in the book. Um, nation is the frame within which um, that allows me to make those kinds of arguments, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, so thinking in terms of, of diaspora, you know, is, is, is most vital for certain kinds of questions um, around decolonization, for instance, and for, you know, effective resistance against anti-Blackness, right? The diaspora allows us to think in these transnational terms um, um, and I and I kind of open that space in that section of the book where I bring in Fanon. Mm -hmm. um, but my decision to opt for nation, as it were, and and to work out movements um, of what creolizing the na the nation would look like, is is really about being able to say that nation is not what we often think it means, um, given that to my mind at least, not sufficient attention is paid to these alternative poetics and practices that creolization consists of. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, uh, one of the words you used in your first response to uh, uh, my question was coalition, which you've written about extensively before outside of this book. This is an opportunity to bring some of that in. One of the, maybe this is one of these poetics or practices you 
have in mind in your answer because something I found novel of your other writings on coalition, specifically what you're calling decolonial coalitions is the relevance of play, uh, playfulness that I understand you're drawing on Maria Lugones and mm-hmm. others. So what, uh, this is another uh, generative kind of juxtaposition. What, do, what does play give the national communities you're calling for? Right, um, I and and I appreciate this question um, because you know it's 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 this invitation for me to talk about how um, in the book um, you know I'm I'm working very squarely within and with Glissant, um and and thinking through the framework of realization. But what I what I do in the book is um, try to um, to curate a conversation, if you will, or an encounter between Latina feminism and creolization as a theory. Um, and so, like you said, Maria Lugones' work is um, is very much a part, a part of that middle section, um, that middle work of the book. Um, but in any event, so my thinking around the category of playfulness um, is, you know, to, to, to go to Maria, Maria Lugones' work in particular, um, <clears throat> her development of this notion of playful world travel, um, to say that, or to show how, you know, there's these, this very interesting resonance, um, and resonance in a way that is perhaps political in ways that Glissant's work is not. Um, but in any event, <clears throat> What I want to say, or what I show in the book, is that Lugones' development of this notion of playful travel resonates in really interesting ways with how Guisant talks about um, his notions of errantry, um, an archipelago as a mode of thinking, um, the ways in which he grounds movement and dynamism, um, the movement of the rhizome when it comes to um, the, the coming into being of the composite community. Um, and so Ultimately, um, I see playfulness as a part of what it would mean to develop these kinds of sensibilities or imaginary, imaginaries, if you will, against the politics of purity, right? Which is the mm-hmm. term that, that um, Lugunis, Lugunis uses um, to, to, to sort of mock the rot, as it were, at the center of coloniality, um, which is to say that you know, for, for her, grounded in this attitude of play, once community building practices become open, right, to, well, a kind of openness, right, to, to a kind of uncertainty that comes with the lived dynamism um, of moving in the world as human and with other human beings, right? And we might, we might think of this lived dynamism in terms of the impurity that comes with that, necessar- that is necessarily a part of this moving plurality, right? On all sorts of levels, right? The everyday level, the cultural level, the political level. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's this one piece that, that I wrote, um, I think it came out in either 2018 or 2019, um, where in the piece, I think about the ways in which Glissant, um, his poetics, right? His account of errantry is both against the roots thinking of purity mm-hmm. and as a consequence has opacity um, as its conceptual center. And I and I, I would I suspect that we will probably see more things about opacity 
um, as this conversation unfolds. So I wouldn't say too much about opacity right now. Um, but what I do want to say is that as a mode of world traveling and as a mode of community building and relation, playfulness is this thing that I think captures an orientation that re rejects a kind of totalizing kind of knowing, right? Knowledge for the sake of capture, um, you know, in this sense is not a prerequisite for moving in the world, right? And that's because the playful world traveling subject is one for whom um, it makes sense to build with the other as that other remains irreducible to whatever um, concepts or frames that would have reduced her to some colonial, you know, universality. Um, and so, you know, it, it, mm. it's at this point to my mind that we hear an invitation to at least think with Glissant's notion of errantry mm. um, or, or with his notion of the errant thinker as one who, I think this is a, either a quote or a paraphrase, right? Glissant says the errant thinker who challenges and discards the universal. Um, and so, um, yeah, and so, uh, but all of that in a way that is ultimately quite grounded in material history, right? So, so playfulness, um, not to convey a kind of frivolous disregard of history, right? A, a playfulness that's actually, you know, perhaps paradoxically quite serious, right? About the stakes of history and the material, materiality of history, um, and its attendant violences. Mm-hmm. So is there something the playfulness gives the coalition that it, it would break down otherwise, or is it working against a seriousness, or is it working against an idea that I know who I am and that defines me in a clear way, and, and in fact the histories are more complicated, or how do you see in the kind of coalition itself the playfulness working? Right, yeah, I mean, so so yeah, so all of that, right, so, so I think um, in, in kind of foregrounded this foregrounding this concept of play, um, it's an opportunity to build and think again without this need to capture, right? Without mm -hmm. this need to freeze in rigidity um, that perhaps does get us to at least a more decolonial path um, in, our, in our coalition building projects. Um, and so, you know, to, to, you know, to be clear, Lugones herself, as she develops this, she wants to say that this more decolonial path needs to actually be um, playful in this sense, right? Open to what is radically new or radically otherwise, open to sabotaging what is old and, and familiar and grounding, right? Which is to say the old and familiar colonial structures that continue to ground our everyday experiences and sort of, you know, openness. Um, play allows us to be open in the sense to moving beyond the organizing limitations of coloniality. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is a good time. I, I like to read from the books a little bit as uh, uh, some lines just to give the audience a sense of the tone and out of sort of recognition of the work. So let me read some of your lines on this. I, I have a question in mind. You say this is in, in the time in chapter two, the time and place of creolization, 5960, you say. It is possible to imagine creolization as a theoretical accounting for the possibility of new and decolonial articulations of national community and national identity. So help me understand these lines. What is the 
what is the kind of sense of the new that is at play here? And then how is it, de how is creolization decolonial? Right, good. Um, um, I have to say, I still have to kind of grow accustomed to hearing my own words read back to me. Um, <laughs> that is still disorienting in all sorts of ways. Um, but um, so yeah, so right. So as I hear this question, your question about, you know, how we should think about creolization or how I would like us to think about creolization with respect to decolonization and decoloniality. Um, you know, what immediately comes to mind, both when I was writing the book and now actually, you know, what immediately comes to mind is, you know, Eve Tuck and Wayne Yang's, you know, admonition, if you will, that decolonization is not a metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. And so at the outset, I, I do want to say that I don't, I, my, my, I don't want to offer creolization as decolonization, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and as a matter of fact, you know, much of the concluding sections um, of the book, in those sections, I try to at least begin some serious wrestling with the implications of, you know, the, the migratory and diasporic experiences and conceptions of homemaking and placemaking, how to think about all of that in the context um, of the kinds of settler colonial violence um, and genocidal violence um, that first peoples experience um, that, that then allows for these sorts of migratory and diasporic um, ways of being in the world, if you will. Um, so, so what I offer in the book is not, is not at all that creolization is decolonization because, mm -hmm. you know, I'm attentive to all the things that decolonization is actually going to hold us um, accountable to. Um, but what I what I do offer um, in the book is is creolization as a set of frameworks um, or as a method uh, that might prepare us for, at the very least, being able to participate in these decolonizing projects, right? that might rid us of these organizing frames and technologies of the subject, of the human, that continues to reproduce coloniality and its more, you know, recent um, and adaptive variants. Um, so creolization is what might open up these sort of imaginary or imaginative avenues, if you will, that would make decolonizing practices more legible or more possible to imagine, right, in our current and decolonial now, if you will. Um, and so, you know, there's a there's a, a book that um, that I read alongside writing my own book. Um, I think it came out in 2018 um, by Michael Weedorn. We Airdorn. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it uh -huh. correctly. Um, but in any event, I mean, so. So your question actually brings to mind the title of that book. Um, and so the title of the 2018 book is, you know, to think like an archipelago, right? And so I think that's what creolization, or at least that's how I understand creolization and how I talk about it in the book, right? As, as a frame that asks us to think like an archipelago, right? And so what would that consist of, right? How would thinking like an archipelago put us on the way to decolonization this way of, 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 of phrasing, right, this on the way to decolonization 
um, is something I'm actually borrowing from um, a piece that Christy Dotson wrote a couple years ago mm. um, in using black feminism or black feminist thinking as a way that might put us on that might put us on the way to decolonization. Um, so, so how would thinking like an archipelago put us on a path that might prepare us um, to change everything in this sense, right? And to think differently um, and, 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 and sufficiently differently um, to put us, you know, on this path. Um, and so, you know, in thinking like an archipelago, we find ways to think about things like place and territory in non-sovereign terms. Um, mm. We find ways to think about the sociality of contact, right, that's beyond the possessive technologies of capture, right? Um, we find thing, ways to think about relation that's not centered around the other's threat, right? All is relation, all is influence. Um, we find ways to ground our political claims and practices in history without deploying history for, um, you know, for, for essentialist projects, right, um, for, for a static understanding of sociality. Um, and, and I suspect that there are other practices and methodologies um, that, that could get us on that path, right, so for instance, Black feminism, Indigenous feminism. Um, so I, I don't want to propose at all that creolization is, is sufficient for mm -hmm. this sort of decolonizing, reorienting. Um, but I do want to say that it's necessary, given the richness of its poetics. Mm -hmm. hmm. The point about the archipelago helps me understand more of the argument. Would, would you say, well, Glissant has the line, I, I believe in small countries, I'm in favor of small countries uh, in poetics, and which is the central, I mean, I take to be, you're working with Trate de Tumond also, but mostly poetics of relation. Um, mm -hmm. And would you say that part of the believing in small countries, uh, the reason you keep the nation, you argue for the nation and creolizing the nation comes out of a, uh, in a, an archipelagic sensibility of, of the small countries that make up an archipelago or different archipelagos. Is that partly informing your, your argument? Um, yeah, I mean, and I think, I think there is a way in which one has to be uh, faithful or mindful or ground oneself in that, um, here I see sort of geographical orientation um, to even sort of make sense of what creolization is um, and, 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 and how creolization asks us to think about um, all these concepts differently, right? So, so the, you know, the, the, the idea behind the archipelago is, um, or, or at least some of the things that get centered um, to, when you think about in these, uh, think about think in terms of the archipelago is, right, um, um, history uh, as um, fragments or fragmentation, um, uh, you know, um, creating place, um, engaging with time and, and resituating memory um, mm. in a way that has to deal with these fragments 
um, and dealing with fragmentation that's not about piecing together to reproduce some sort of original whole, um, but, a, but a producing so as to move on in time nonetheless. Mm. Um, so I think, right, so, so it's, it's very much grounded in that creolization, I mean, it's very much grounded in that very specific kind of um, geography, right, and the history that comes out of that geography of the small islands. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, I want to remind everybody again to encourage you to post things in the chat. We can get to it in uh, after a few more questions here. I want to return to a point you made about creolization as a method, um, which is perhaps a slight shift from what we've been talking about politics and ethics and these kind of things. I know you were generous enough to share with me a forthcoming chapter you have in a volume on decolonizing American philosophy. And there you speak more specifically about creolization as a tool to theorize resistance. Um, and so I w wanted to ask you to elaborate on this other level that creolization can work on, this methodological level that we've seen parts of in work to creolize the canon. There's a book series on that now. The, these kind of things, I, I would be interested in your take on, on the method of creolization. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and thank you for asking that question. So I should say that um, that volume, Decolonizing American Philosophy, um, if I knew it was, I would I would pull it and put it on display. It, it actually um, is already out. Is it um, out? Cool. Yeah, it's out. Um, it's uh, I we, you know we received hard hard copies just last month in January, um, and it's an amazing collection. I mean, all of the contributors are are in, uh, amazing, and I think it's a really path making breaking volume. Hmm. Um, and so you know we're all really grateful to the editors Corey McCall and. Um, Philip McReynolds for, you know, putting together um, a really good collection um, of, of, of thinking around, right, what it means, all the various ways you can think about decolonizing American philosophy. Hmm. Um, but to your question about method, right, creolization as method. Um, interestingly enough, I'm actually currently um, rereading John Trubinsky's um, latest book on Glissant. Mm -hmm. um, Sounds in the Middle Passage, I think mm -hmm. is the title. Um, and I think that serves as a pretty good resource um, to think about this question or this idea of creolization as method. Um, but we also see this being worked out in Mike Monaghan's um, 2012 book, right, Creolizing the Subject, um, Jane Anna Gordon's book um, on, on creolizing Rousseau via Fanon. Um, but it, you know, you know, I just want to make sure I, I give those folks the shout out that they deserve. Mm -hmm. But in any event, right? Um, so as a philosophical method, or maybe <coughs> even as an invitation for us to think more critically about what counts as method, right? Um, creolization mm -hmm. replaces what one might call, you know, continental thinking for this sort of archipelagic thinking thinking like an archipelago. Um, and then all of that in relation to how we might theorize questions of beginning, questions of beginning differently or otherwise, um, questions of temporality, right? You know, especially as it relates to, you know, notions of homemaking and placemaking. Um, you know, so for instance, 
um, you know, to go back to John Trubinsky, and because of this work is fresh in my head, um, to go back to how he poses these method questions, right? He says, um, you know, um, and I'm going to paraphrase, given the the modalities of loss and survival that precisely um, um, make up Caribbean history, right? That we find in this context of Carib Caribbeanness, um, a context that asks us to grapple with the materiality of the Middle Passage and the materiality of the plantation. Um, what would it mean for our philosophical method to, to, to think um, to, to think in these tombs, right, um, and, and, to, read, and to, to read human experience in these tombs, right, um, in terms of the shoreline, if you will, is, is John Trubinsky's um, phrase. So, so, so for our method to adequately ground thinking about the past, the possibility of memory um, in the wake of the Middle Passage, right, is, is what I think creolization or how I think creolization as a as a method and as a mode of thinking um, can be helpful and productive. Um, and so, you know, to say a little bit more, I think you right. So you had a question about, um, you know, the the current work around creolizing the canon. Mm -hmm. um, so you know. On my understanding, so this move to realizing that the canon, you know, likewise in a, is an attempt to, to decentralize um, the methodological assumptions about these sorts of critical questions, right? About time, about what constitutes the human, about the meaning of relations, sociality, history, place, um, and and to 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 decentralize the way those assumptions get shaped if you continue to make your, your frame of reference um, Europe, right? Or, or perhaps empire, right? And so to engage with the canon from this creolizing sensibility is to really bring um, a sort of methodological bricolage, if you will, um, to bear on the think space out of which the canon operates, right? So, so that, and, and, and that I think will often involve engagement <coughs> with European canonical figures from question sets that, and, and emergent methodologies um, coming out of life worlds shaped in and against Europe's violence, right? So a move to creolize the canon is about, you know, to my mind, bringing into the canon the experience of empire that so often produce urgencies that require communities um, on the receiving end of this violence to think quite inventively um, outside of the colonizing box, if you will, about what it means to be human. And so when you bring, bring those question sets and those experiences to bear on the canon, um, you, get, right, you get a very different methodological story. Um, and, and, and you know, are able to use the canon in 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 very different ways, right? For very different philosophical purposes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That is helpful, and it recalls the first discussion with David Scott on Stuart Hall, where he said one of the things that Caribbean philosophy so often offers is not just a smart answer to a question, but shifting the set of questions. Right. 
Exactly. Yes. Yes. Hearing echoes of echoes of that here to use the mm -hmm. term glissant likes. Okay, I want to ask two more questions before we open it up for the chat. The okay. first, let's take us back to the politics of some of this because you end your book, you move through Fanon, and then you end your book, in my mind, very interestingly, for a project of creolizing the nation, which is uh so let me put let me try to string some of this together you say at the start of the book let me quote this to get the language right the overall effect of creolizing the nation is not to undo the matrices of power that stitch together the governmentality of the state so acknowledging i, I appreciate when books do this uh, acknowledging the scope of their intervention and then um, you end the book with the uh, in dialogue with Glenn Coulthard's uh, Red Skin, White Mass, uh, mm -hmm. a critique of the nation state. We can add the state to this key term mm -hmm. of the nation. So I, it, that uh, beginning and ending made me want to hear more about how you think the relationship of creolization, not just between uh, with the nation, creolizing the nation, but also uh, the state and the nation state. Yeah, yeah. Right. Um, and so, you know, <clears throat> I think the way that this book ended is, um, you know, sort of mirrors um, a, a lot of how, how most all of my projects end, right? So, you know, I ended this book um, in, in, in the spirit of um, a, a, a new set of interesting and urgent uh, question sets hmm. um, that that you know that came to the fore um, in need of engagement um, that you know was beyond the scope of the book, right? And so I ended that book to say that you know um, though th though these questions around the nation and nation states. Um, is beyond the scope of the book. Um, part of what the book is holding itself accountable for, if you will, um, is to at least gesture towards these important questions, right? Despite mm -hmm. the fact that it's beyond um, beyond the scope of the book. Um, and so maybe uh, to, ex to explain that move, um, that tension, if you will, between how I begin and how I end, maybe I'll, I'll say a little bit more, um, um, say a little bit more about, you know, the, the, some more state setting things about the project um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, its relationship to nation um, and what that means when it comes to thinking about not just the nation as a sort of everyday experience of nation, but the nation state, right? Um, so, so as a as a political project, um, they, they and I and I and I do say I do consider this a political project, right? Mm -hmm. So as a political project, um, the frame of the nation allows us to foreground, like I said, the kinds of <clears throat> quite politically salient work that happens at the level of the everyday, right? So those sort of quotidian acts and decisions and gestures um, whose efficacy really is about disrupting, um, even if it's only in that particular moment, um, it's really about disrupting the habitus, um, if you will. Those sort of uh, everyday disruptive practices um, is something that I think is always needs to be considered as 
political in in their own right. Um, but I but uh, but it's also important for us to to um, it's also important I think for us to um, to give a proper accounting, a proper accounting, if you will, of those um, disruptive everyday effects, right? Um, and to do that, particularly when we theorize an experience of nations, right? And so really my project wants to rethink national life, um, given, give, given the truth, if you will, of these liminal disruptive agencies, mm. um, a rethinking of nation that problematizes the assumed totality um, of these matrices of domination, and then offering creolization as a way to name how these quotidian acts of sabotage um, often make it, if I, if I can put it this way, often make the heart of these technologies of settler, uh, settler colonialism and anti-Black violence pump for the, de for the decolonial enterprise. Um, that's a phrase that my dear friend, as Murdoch um, shared with me as coming from um, Wayne Yang's uh, Third University as Possible um, at a book talk that we actually did early on this year. Um, so, so creolization as a method tries to theorize this um, in, in the, the ways in which communities have always practiced freedom, right, in and against and despite all the varying and intersecting contexts of unfreedom um, mm -hmm. of which the mechanism of the state is comprised, right? Um, and so, you know, in it, to, to your question of, about the state, right, about how this actually relates um, to the nation at the level of the state, um, I have to say that this, this is a genuine gap in the book. Uh, and the way I end it is to, is to be honest about marking it as an as as a as work that needs to follow the book um and so i didn't spend um much time at all in the book in delineating in delineating how these jostling realizing modes of sabotage um might manifest itself mm. at the actual uh, at the actual level of state mechanisms right but but i think that's because what i really wanted to do was to offer a lens of national life as it plays out, right, alongside these, these state machinations of power, um, in which the landscape of the nation is already being affected by those in the margin, right? Um, and so, you know, uh, without, you know, romanticizing, if you will, what it means to live um, in the margin and what it means to live under the, these modalities of domination, um, and, and, you know, without diminishing the real material effects of what it means to live under that domination, um, we have to acknowledge, right, and this is what I try to use creolization to, to do, we have to acknowledge that, you know, these folks in the margins are sort of always already starting shit, right, to, to, if, if we can say it that way, right, always starting tiny little mini fires on the plantation, right, mm -hmm. and so it seems as though, Right there's a there, there's room to think about how this can all travel up to um, actual state contesting activity, mm -hmm. um, you know, and 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 the work that Colt Hart is doing in his in his book is a good resource 
um, for mm -hmm. those questions, right? How this can ground and ultimately condition the possibility um, of, of state contesting sort of big R revolutionary actions. Um, but but for now, you know, all I all I have to offer is, is that, right? So so uh, an accounting an accounting of what happens every day. Um, without necessarily being to being able to anticipate or, or imagine ahead of time um, how that might manifest itself in in actions more frontal actions at the level of the state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, I wanted to ask one more question that you for uh, foregrounded or foreshadowed, I should say, earlier uh, about opacity before we right. turn to the audience. Uh, questions. And again, I welcome uh, y'all to put things in the chat and then we'll get to your questions. So uh, as also somebody who spends a lot of time reading Glissant, opacity is such a difficult concept uh, by design, likely. I mean, it would, the, the term might not mean something if it's so clear, but he also distinguishes it from obscurity. So here we are uh, trying to make sense of it. And some of the language you use in your book that it protects the community that it can guard a community i'm interested in what how you see that working is opacity more does it mean more than cultural difference for you and how does it how does something like an opacity guard against you talk about it in terms of uh the one the totalitarianism of the one um can you say more about what it means right to Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it's it does seem as though, you know, opacity has, you know, getting a lot of traction in the trenches these days, if you will. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, I'll, I'll be I'll be honest here, while, while, you know, doing research for this book and writing about this book, um, you know, I thought about, <coughs> I thought about opacity as doing certain kinds of work um, for my overall argument, um, which is, again, an argument that says that our accounting of national life ought to grapple with and, and appropriately theorize with these sort of everyday quotidian jostling activities, right? Um, but, you know, and I should say, you know, in talking about the book with others and in reading scholars, um, now that I'm at the end of the book, right, on the other side of the book, um, now that the book's completed, uh -huh. um, it's actually drawn me right towards thinking about opacity in perhaps different kinds of ways, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I know you know that both of us exchanged a couple emails about around this particular question, mm -hmm. um, and so you know I consider it very much um, a, an open and a live question uh, for me. This question of opacity and how we should understand it um, and the kinds of work that it can do. Um, both for our theoretical projects and perhaps also for our political projects mm -hmm. um, or cultural projects even. But, you know, at this juncture, really, um, you know, between or across the cultural and the political, um, it, is, it is something that I, that I do grapple with, not just at the end of the book, but, you know, throughout, mm -hmm. you know, throughout mm -hmm. the book. Um, and so the question, how might we think about Glissant's poetics of relation, um, supporting or giving way or making uh, <coughs> possible for a more squarely politics of relation, right? Um, that I think is, 
is a question that is very much attendant to this question about opacity, right? Um, you know, how we, how we can think about uh, a poetics of relation or poetics of opacity in a way that can support a politics of relation or a politics of opacity, right? Um, and, and there seems to be a richness of, of, of possibilities um, for that interplay, right? Poetics, opacity as a, as, as a poetics and opacity as a politics. Um, you know, there's opacity as refusal, there's opacity as fugitivity, right? I'm thinking here about C. Riley Snorton's work um, and Tiffany King's work, um, opacity as a kind of illegibility or, or refusal of legibility, right? I'm thinking here about, you know, some of the work that Sidia Hartman has done. Um, so on the question of what opacity is able to achieve um, or what it's able to demand even at the level of politics um, is one that's very much alive for me. Um, but I do try to, um, to tinker around what that, what, how, 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 to how a response to that question or what a response to that question would be um, <clears throat> by precisely turning to thinkers like Fanon and Lugones um, in the book. Uh, but I, I do see this question around opacity as one of the, one of the number of questions that is really taking me beyond, if you will, the covers mm -hmm. of the book. 